From Church on Morgan, a United Methodist congregation whose desire is to be a reminder of the beauty of God and each other. This podcast is a collection of Sunday teachings inspired by the Revised Common Lectionary and recorded weekly in Raleigh, North Carolina. And now, a moment of silence before this episode begins. So this morning, we're going to be looking at um, a passage that if you grew up in the church or ever got invited to vacation Bible school, um, spent any time in Sunday school, you likely heard this story at some point in time. In fact, part of the reason you might remember it is because it, it got its own song. Not every story in the Bible gets a song. But uh, today we're talking about Zacchaeus, uh, the wee little man. Do we remember this tune? Yeah, yeah. They're teaching it to your children now, just so we know that the legacy continues and generations will be haunted by this earworm long after us. But I think like so many passages, like a, like a story like Zacchaeus, that sometimes we, um, we miss the forest for the trees. I think that's how they say it, right? We get so caught on the details, we miss the overall surprise of what's actually right in front of us. And so this morning, I, I want to just slow down a little bit. And hopefully you'll be as surprised as I was this week to encounter this story anew. So if you would, hear now this reading from the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 19. We're going to be looking at verse 1 through 10. And this is what Luke writes. He said that Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through town. And a man there named Zacchaeus, a ruler among tax collectors, was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he couldn't because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed up a sycamore tree so he could see Jesus, who was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that spot, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, come down at once. I must stay in your home today. So Zacchaeus came down at once, happy to welcome Jesus. Everyone who saw this grumbled, saying, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, look, Lord, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anyone, I repay them four times as much. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this household, because he too is a son of Abraham. The human one came to seek and save the lost. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. And uh, I've tried to work with our audio engineer to take the snot out of my voice. Um, This is as good as it gets. And uh, I'm sorry for the nasal edition this morning. uh, But I'm pretty sure I'll get to see your snotty faces next week. So... We're all going to be sharing, I think, every form of cold and sickness for the next two years. Uh, Okay, so this uh, Zacchaeus story, when Luke sits down to tell this account, uh, he chooses to include this story. He's the only gospel writer who does, which is interesting in its own right. 
but when Luke's first listeners would have heard it in their own native Greek language, and he was writing in Greek, right? And as he began to write this down, and it would get passed around, and people who followed in the way of Jesus would hear this story to remember the life and ministry of Jesus, uh, Luke takes us on a pretty aggressive ride right out the top. So first thing is he says, there was, uh, as Jesus on his way to Jericho, there was a man he comes across, and the man's name is Zacchaeus. Uh, that's interesting to us just because I don't know a Zacchaeus except this one. Uh, and there are not a lot of people who name their kids after Zacchaeus. Maybe they should. I don't know. But probably not, at least based on the traditional reading of this text. But Zacchaeus in Greek literally means righteous. So if you were a Greek audience and you're listening to the story, the way it's being framed by Luke is Jesus is making his way to Jericho and he comes across a man named Righteous. And the man named Righteous, Luke tells us in the next sentence, was a chief tax collector and rich, right? So when Luke begins to tell the story and people are listening, like immediately they begin to boo and hiss at this point and roll their eyes, right? Like the irony, like give me a break. This man's name is Righteous and he's a tax collector. So if you don't kind of, if you haven't heard this before, part of the beef with tax collectors in, uh, in the Gospels is not that like, you know, the people of God are just against the IRS. This isn't sort of what's going on here. What's happening is in this very particular situation, the Jewish people are an oppressed minority group living under Roman, uh, the Roman Empire, right? And they're kind of being taxed to the very edge of their life and existence. And so tax collectors uh, were kind of like the worst people in this community because A guy like Zacchaeus is himself a Jew, and he takes this job from the Roman Empire, from their oppressors, to tax his own people to fund the empire. And you're like, why would anybody do this? Well, first, you got to pay a bunch of money to get the right to do it. But then once you have it, the Roman Empire basically says, hey, this is the piece we want. Anything you collect above and beyond that is yours. And so it attracted, like, some of the worst kinds of people. So Zacchaeus is seen as a traitor, because not only is he collecting a tax of his own people who are being oppressed and giving it to the empire, but he's likely extorting, taking above and beyond even more. And that's, by the way, how he's getting rich. He's robbing his own people. And so Luke's telling the story, and he goes, so there's this man named Righteous, who is the chief tax collector and rich. And everybody's like, give me a freaking break. Tell us more, right? And he said, so Jesus was coming through town one day and there were so many people gathered around him that this rich man, Zacchaeus, he wanted to see this guy, Jesus, and see what it was all about. But the problem was he was a wee little man, right? He was small in stature. He couldn't see Jesus. And so he runs ahead of the crowd. Now, also, ironically, a lot of commentators would say, and this sort of makes sense, it's kind of like if you've ever taken a photo and they do that moment and they're like, everybody's short up front. And you're like, ah, you're right? And you got to go, this is how parades would work. This is what was going on. Jesus is walking through town. There's a huge crowd. Typically, someone of Zacchaeus' stature would have been kicked to the front of the line. Like, short people, go ahead, let them through, let them through. He'd go to the front. But he's so hated. He's so loathed in his own community that they're like, nah, dog, you stay out. You don't get to see. Like, whatever. Like, what? You're, you're a traitor. And so he runs ahead, and he climbs a sycamore tree, 
which you may not know this. We have one tree on our property. We planted it. It's a sycamore tree. If you're like, what's a sycamore tree? It's the one our kids hang out and climb in, right? In Greek, once again, we usually don't Greek so hard, but this is just, in Greek, a sycamore tree is it's called the silly tree. Sycamore in Greek is just silly. I don't know why they think that tree is funny, but it was considered a silly tree. So Luke's painting this picture. There's a man. His name's righteous. Wink, wink. But he's a chief tax collector, and they won't let him see Jesus. So he has to climb up in his silly tree, little old Zacchaeus in his silly tree looking for Jesus, right? And now they're like, okay, keep telling the story. I like it now. It's getting better. And then it says Jesus walks along the way, happens to go right underneath the tree that Zacchaeus is at, He looks up at Zacchaeus and he says, you can hear kind of the whole audience at this point like, oh, what does he say? Give it to us, Luke. What did he tell him? Tell me. Please let me know what he says, right? And I want to remind you, we've been in the Gospel of Luke. We've been reading this account for months as a church, following the lectionary. In ordinary time, we've been making our way through Luke. So you, you know a little bit about Luke by now. Like, you know, just like a handful of chapters ago, probably in the spring, we came across a passage where Jesus says, woe to the rich. Not like, woe, way to go, but like, woe to the rich. Because you've already got your comfort, your toast. Like, woe to those who are rich. That's a dangerous position to be in. And then two months ago, uh, we're told this story that Jesus tells. Uh, some guys are fighting over money, some brothers around inheritance, whatever, and, and Jesus goes, sit down, let me tell you a story. He said, okay, so there was a farmer. He had like an epic year, and his crop was so big that he couldn't even sell it all in that year, so he thinks to himself. He doesn't ask any of his friends. He just thinks to himself. He doesn't like find out if there's any needs in the community. He just talks to himself through this situation. He goes, what should I do? And he goes, oh, I know what I should do. I should tear down my existing barn, build a bigger one, store all my extra grain in there, and now I can just sit back, chill, be happy. I'm rich for good, right? And Jesus says, and God took that man's life from him that very night. What a fool. Think of what you could have done with that grain, and you hoarded it for yourself. This is Luke. This is the Jesus that Luke is telling us. Woe to the rich. The man with the bigger barns, what a fool. Just two or three weeks ago, uh, we gave Sam the opportunity to preach her first sermon on hell. And uh, she got up and had a beautiful sermon. But there's this story of a, a rich man who wore fine purple linens every day and had extravagant meals every meal of his life. But right there at the gate of his house, there was a man named Lazarus who was poor it says that that man had sores all over his body that the dogs would kind of like lick on him and eat on him, right? And all he wanted was just a crumb from, his, from this guy's table, who, by the way, is not named in Luke's account, but Lazarus, the poor man, is. And then they both die. Lazarus ends up sitting at Abraham's table having quite the feast, and the rich man finds himself being tormented in death. And this rich man's begging begging the man who sat at his gate just for a drop of water, right? Like Luke's gospel is like the eat the rich manifesto, right? This is who Luke is. So when you're sitting there listening 
to your people, read you the story of God as told to us by Luke, and you find out that Jesus in this story has just walked underneath Zacchaeus in his silly tree, and he's about to say something to him, you're like, I can't wait. Turn it up, right? And so Jesus, standing under that tree, looks up at Zacchaeus and he says, hurry down. We need to break bread, brother. I want to come hang out at your house. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, read it again. You missed something. That can't be right. This isn't the story that Luke's telling. There's absolutely no way this is what Jesus says. It's profoundly shocking. And so Zacchaeus hurries down. Like, oh my gosh, I yeah, I never thought you'd ask. Like, never thought you'd ask, but let's go. And as they make their way and they sit down, you get this idea, you get the sense that like the whole crowd is so upset about this that they follow them to the scene of the crime. You can't even imagine them standing outside of, you know, Zacchaeus's like mansion, eating dinner on the veranda, right? With all the servants probably in the mix. And the whole crowd is standing at the gate just watching, like muttering, booing, hissing. Like, are you kidding me, right? And as he's eating dinner with him in this moment, uh, we're reminded of a, a couple things. I just want to highlight for us this morning. Part of the surprise of this account, I don't want us to get over. One is that as Pastor Nadia Bowles-Weber says, this story, like so many others in the Gospels, whether it's Luke's or anyone else's, is a reminder to us that anytime we draw a line between ourselves and others, you can count on Jesus to be on the other side. That whenever you draw a line between us and them, Jesus will predictably be with them. Even if it's a filthy, rich traitor of a tax collector. This is the shock and the surprise of God's grace that we're not intended to get over ever. But as the crowd is grumbling, probably to the point where it's making dinner awkward, we're told that Zacchaeus finally stands up. He makes a speech. He says, Lord, I give, I would give half of my money to the poor and anyone I've ever defrauded or cheated, I'm going to pay back four times over, right? Like profound transformation. Most commentators would say reading this, Zacchaeus went from being a rich man to not a rich man in that moment. Like it's over. His game is done. He stands up in the middle of this meal, sees the people grumbling on the sidewalk, and he says to them, I'm giving half of it to the poor, and I'm paying everybody back four times over. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. And two questions I want you to just entertain this morning. Two things I've been wrestling with. Is there anybody in your life that you've refused to give permission to change? Are, are there any people that you've just completely written off and given up and said, there's absolutely no hope for this individual? They're so corrupt and broken and cut off from any sense of dignity that I won't even waste another second or thought on them. Any effort, right? Is there anybody that you've refused to give permission to change to? This is a story reminding us that even the Zacchaeus of the world can experience transformation. And the second thing 
I don't want us to miss about this is how that change happens. This is extremely challenging. I, I think our instincts are like the one of the crowd, that we think that the way that change happens is that Jesus stands under that tree and he goes, Zacchaeus, you're a filthy lying cheat. You've robbed your people. You're an embarrassment to your community. Like, the only right action for you is to give half your money away and pay back everybody you offended four times over, and then it'd be nice if you just disappeared too, right? This is what the crowd wants. This is how the crowd thinks change happens. This is how we think change happens. That we get on our bullhorn and we shout and shame the people who see the world differently than we do, and we wield our power, and just shy of violence, and unfortunately even now some people are crossing that line, to violently bring about change that they want to see in the people across from them. And yet the way that Jesus brings about change is so profoundly surprising. He sits down and has a meal with him. He generously befriends him. He risks his own reputation to sit at his home at the expense of all the booze out there on the sidewalk. When I look at even the church, especially in America, when we see things that we want to have changed, we, we tend to use the same tools of the empire, of Twitter, right? We'll just shame the hell out of you until you join us. It's like, how's that working for us? Here in Zacchaeus, we're shocked to see the grace that's available to them, to the Zacchaeuses of the world. We're shocked to see that transformation is possible in people like that. And we're shocked at the way that it happens. But maybe all of that's wrong. <laughs> Anybody like revisionist history? Malcolm Gladwell kind of vibes? Yeah. Uh, basically, this podcast says, but what if that's not the story, right? Or Adam Grant, think again, right? I, I kind of want to give you a little bit of a Okay, let's just put a pin in that for a second. But what if this story is completely different than that? I mean, what if the surprise that's waiting for us is even more shocking than the surprises I just laid out? First of all, in uh, verse 3 here, it says that Zacchaeus was trying to see Jesus, to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he couldn't because of the crowd. Now, this, some of y'all are not going to recover from this. Uh, we don't know if the short man in that sentence is referring to Zacchaeus or Jesus. Our song told us that Zacchaeus was the wee little man. It just might have been Jesus. So one way to read this text is to say that Zacchaeus was trying to see Jesus, but since Jesus was a short little man, he couldn't because of the crowd. Zacchaeus, like Jesus is getting lost in the mob, Right? Some of us, that's like doing some weird work right now. <laughs> but I, I don't know. Like, I looked it up like 10 minutes ago. Um, <laughs> not that. Not that. I looked up this. Uh, how tall you think Gandhi was? He was 5'5". Five five. Uh, Desmond Tutu? 5'4". We imagine that Jesus must have been this towering tall figure because it's kind of what we've been shown. The odds are probably a little better. I mean, the average height of a CEO is 6'3". 
Jesus is probably 5'4". <laughs> Zacchaeus was a tall drink of water. How do you think he intimidated and enforced and extorted the way that he had? You think because he was like the littlest kid on the team? We, we've been telling this story a certain way. I'm not even going to talk about that. Here's the bigger surprise. In verse 8, the common English Bible translation takes like a very middle-of-the-road approach here, and you didn't even catch it. But in verse 8, when Zacchaeus stands up at the middle of that dinner and he gives a speech, he says, Look, Lord, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anyone, I repay them four times as much. So if you go, sorry on the Greek, if you go to the original language, the verb there, forgive and pay, is in the present tense. I give half of my money to the poor, and I repay those I've cheated four times over. When people have to interpret the Bible, and they take the Greek and they put it in English, there are a million decisions they're making. When it comes to the New Revised Standard Version, or NIV, the way they make sense of that sentence and the sentiment there is they say what you have heard your whole life, which is that Zacchaeus stands up and he says, look, Lord, I will give half of my money to the poor. And anyone I've cheated, I will repay. I'm making a commitment now about the future. It's called the future present tense, right? But if you look at the Revised Standard Version or the King James Version, they read it as Zacchaeus standing up, realizing he finally has to come clean and say something because this crowd has gotten so out of control that he can't hear Jesus. A man he was so passionate to follow that he embarrassed himself by climbing up in a silly tree in front of all of the people who think he's a total crook and robber. And he stands up in front of them and he finally says, I didn't ever want it to come to this, but look, I have given half of my money to the poor. I've given half to the poor. And any time I've ever found out about fraud in my organization, I've paid it back four times over. And Jesus says, this right here is a son of Abraham. And salvation has come to this house today. So is it like future present, I'm going to give? Is it progressive past present, whatever that thing is, right? I have given? I don't know. And some of you are going, that's a stretch, man. Like, that, you like your house and suburban life. That's a nice move, but I get it. Like, I see what you're doing there. That's real convenient. But to me, it seems like it actually fits. It fits with the story that Luke's been telling us. Like, once again, you've been spending time in here with us. Again and again, is this not the model that Luke takes the people that we assume to be righteous and holy and he exposes them as fraudulent and corrupt? And again and again and again, he takes the folks that we've written off and consider to be evil and broken and horrible and he lifts them up as examples. Here's just some of the heroes that Luke has laid out before us, before this text, right? We had the Roman soldier who's, who's a hero in Luke's account, the good Samaritan, the shrewd manager, remember that guy? I mean, why not? Could this passage not be the story of the righteous tax collector? And if that's the case, then it's not Zacchaeus who needs to repent, right? There's no need. He hasn't done anything wrong. He's not a cheater. He's a son of Abraham. The people who need to repent is the crowd that surrounded him 
who just because of his position and his title have assumed a whole world onto him, not knowing at all the truth about who he is. I was thinking about it this week. I'm like, not only that crowd, but sweet Jesus. I mean, think if you're Zacchaeus and this is actually the truth, and for the last 2,000 years you've had to hear preachers get up and just kick the tar out of you again and again, and he's like, it's progressive present. I did give half to the poor. It's like, come on. Which is just one more reason why I'm compelled by this account of the story, because does that not seem like Jesus? To tell you the kind of story that you're like, get him, get him, get him, got him. And then he's like, I got you. <laughs> right? I mean, this is, the, this is the turn we've come to know. Is that as we sharpen our pitchforks, Jesus steps into the mix and goes, what are you doing? That we join the same Eat the Rich campaign only to see Jesus sit down and share a meal with them. I mean, if this is true, this surprising twist is true. And the challenging question for us this day that we shouldn't look away from is like, who have we made false assumptions about in our life? Who have we completely written off? We might not know anything about them except the neighborhood they live in, the car they drive, the title that they have, and we're convinced that they are the problem, never knowing what's happening underneath. And we do this all the time. I, I had an exchange like this just happen a, um, a couple of weeks ago. I met uh, during COVID. I did a lot of Zoom. You all did a lot of Zoom. I'm grateful not to be doing as much Zoom. But during that season, I met uh, a bunch of people around the country. And I got the opportunity to sit with pastors and leaders and connect and try and like sort what's coming next and all that kind of stuff. And one of the groups that I was on, there was an individual on that group. And as our time, and we probably spent, I don't know, 10 to 20 hours together on Zoom, all told, right? It wasn't just us, there were other people there, but as the Zoom thing continued on, uh, there were some tough conversations and hard things that were going on, and I, I just started to get the sense that this person on this Zoom call, like, was not a fan of me. Um, and I started to get the sense maybe I wasn't a fan of them either, and I don't know which came first, but like, you know, that's sort of how it works. So I was just kind of like, eh, whatever. Um, and then just a couple weeks ago, as chance would have it, I meet this person in real life because we're different parts of the country. And I see them across the room and I'm like, well, we're about to find out. Uh, <laughs> and I kind of walk over and I'm like, hey, it's so good to see you. I hope you're well. Uh, crazy, you know. And, uh, and I'm going to give you my best impression of what happened next. This person, I go, hey, it's good to see you. I hope you're doing well. And this was their response. <laughs> and it went like way longer than that. <laughs> and uh, I was like, oh my God. I'm gonna gird up my loins because I'm sure about to take it. Something, the speech is being formulated, right? And I'm like, I knew it, here we go, right? And as I'm standing there, eventually they break their silence and they go, I'm sorry, do I know you? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah, like we spend like 20 hours on Zoom together. You know, I'm Justin. And they're like, oh my gosh, I, had, I did not think you'd be that tall, you know? <laughs> like apparently... 
this version of me matches a Zacchaeus body or a Jesus body. And I, 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 I'm telling you in a split second, there was like a whole nother world that opens up. It was sort of like, I know who this person is. I know that they're my enemy. I know that we'll never be friends. I know that now it's time to build allegiances with my people against them and they're against me. And we're walking out of here trying to figure out how we keep our own brand going, right? And it turns out they just didn't recognize me. There's like this whole other world, like thank God that they had the humility to say that. Otherwise, I'd still be doing my part to cancel them, you know? How we do this every day, all day. We just assume that the way we see ourselves and the way we see other people and the way that we see God is always 100. This is just how it is. We can't imagine another world that we wouldn't see it right, that we wouldn't judge people correctly. And yet the gospel again and again, and Luke's account of it is forever challenging us that like your vision is so incredibly limited. I, this reminds me of... Um, this brilliant C.S. Lewis passage from Mere Christianity that my friend Will, Sam's husband, um, has uh, tattooed on his body. Not the whole thing, but just... A, um, but in it, C.S. Lewis talking to this point and how poorly we see each other. Says, you know, in this life that we walk around together, like the truth is we never really know the truth about each other. That some of the people we look at and go like, what a nightmare of a human being. That the truth of the matter is, given what they were dealt in this life, are absolute saints. What they've pulled off, their ability to stay in the game, the hard, difficult choices they made to keep growing and evolving. And other people we look at and we go, gosh, I wish everybody could be like them. Turns out to be a total slob. They were just given everything. Their life was easy from the start. That You don't know the truth about it. And so C.S. Lewis says, there's a day coming down the road in that good eternal future where we will finally see and be seen for who we truly are. And he says, there will be surprises. There will be surprises. That's what's tattooed on Will, which by the way, I've heard if you want, you can touch his arm where it's on the way out. (laughs) I think it's the left. It's like a left hook, there will be surprises, right? Like, don't cross me, man. There will be surprises. Um, What a compelling truth. So I don't know. Uh, uh, I don't know which story is true. Was Zacchaeus, was it the surprise of who Jesus would break bread with? Is it the surprise of the way in which God works for change in the world? Is it the surprise that the people that we write off just might be more righteous than ourselves is the surprise that we don't see things as clearly as we thought. I, I don't know what it is, but what I do know is that part of the charm, the beauty of the people of God, is that because of texts like this and the witness of so many, we seem to, we should be more open to surprises everywhere. To the surprise of grace in you and the surprise of grace in me. And my hope is that we will be this delightfully surprising community that who we eat with will shock people. That how we work for change will be unconventional. 
and that we'll be quick to challenge our own assumptions about getting it right. Maybe so. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for joining today. If this episode has been meaningful to you, would you take a moment to share it with a friend? To support this ministry or learn more about our community, visit us at churchonmorgan.org.